Hey guys, welcome back to episode 10 of PSP Direct. We're going to go through a couple of interesting questions today. Let's get to it. So, question. What's a bulging disc and what causes it? What is a disc slip when it comes to low back injury? How does it happen? Alrighty, can you guys listen to the whole of this podcast or at least when this actual question ends because if you just listen to half of it you're not going to get the whole uh, message um, sucked into your brain okay so that being said let's get into it a bulging disc disc slips they all seem to stem from the same anatomical concept now the Discs themselves consist of the annulus fibrosus and the nucleus pulposus. So, um, in between your vertebrae, um, you have these things called discs. They are kind of tethered to the vertebrae above and below. And yes, they contain the annulus fibrosus, which is the outer covering, which is kind of like a tire made out of fibrocartilage and lots of other substances and the nucleus pulposus inside, which is like a gel-like substance. So the common metaphor or relationship that people associate it with is a jelly donut. Well, it's, it's, an, it's a nice way of thinking about it, but it's not entirely accurate. In isolation, the discs are actually quite weak. So on uh, animal models of isolated sort of discs, then if you apply a flexion rotation force, which is not really that much, then they'll probably pop which is fair, but I need you to understand that together with the ligaments, muscles, tendons, connective tissue, they are very, very durable, okay? They are not fragile things, okay? So looking at the pure definitions of what the disc bulges are, a herniation is where the nucleus pulposus pushes the outer fibers of the annulus out, and that is commonly referred to as a disc bulge. A disc protrusion is a tear in the inner fibers of the annulus, and it pushes the disc out more. An extrusion is where the nucleus pulposus breaks through the annulus, and a sequestration is when you have that plus, or potentially that, plus uh, fragments of the disc in your spine, which is Theoretically, not a good thing. We admit that all of these could be a cause of back pain and radiating leg pain, but not necessarily because things get complicated now. You can get back pain without any disc bulges. Get that into your head. You can have severe disc issues on scans and not have any pain. Get that into your head. You all need to understand this. Everyone needs to understand this. I have a table at work, the Brukinji table, which outlines this perfectly because as you age you will get more disc issues it is a fact of life accept it but the good thing is is that even if you have wear and tear you can be completely pain free this is very 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 important as a physio this is our bread and butter we've been dealing with this shit for years and we're trying to get that goddamn message out um, that not all disc bulges require surgery don't get me wrong some of them do, but not all of them. So, rant over, well, semi over, but the question is, what do we do? General advice, do what you can, and you need to change your attitudes and beliefs, whether you like it or not. 
okay? If you think that you have a disprotrusion it's going to end your life, no, it may not. You need to consult a good health professional who will guide you through and give you the best treatment as much as possible, okay? In general as well, you probably should get moving, okay? Because we know that the studies have shown that bed rest may not be the best thing. Sometimes it is. Sometimes in the acute stages, you might need a day in bed. But then after that, you're gonna have to get moving at some point in time. In terms of reframe your attitudes and beliefs, because if you think you're screwed, you're gonna be screwed. So uh, I'll give you an example of the sort of recent Netflix series I watched involving Michael Jordan and how he got a navicular fracture and how the doctors wanted to play it conservatively and management wanted to play it conservatively and they said that you had a 10% chance of recurrence but then Michael said that means you have a 90% chance of not having recurrence. It is how you frame your perspective. In general, honestly, people need to mentally sort this shit out and this is what we're here for. This is what allied health professionals and medical staff are here to do. I know that some medical staff will say, yep, you have a disc problem, you're screwed. It's understandable, but you need a really good health professional, I cannot emphasize this enough, who is able to wade through all the information and come up with a strategy that suits you the best. So that's pretty much in a general sense what you should be doing. Uh, it gets a bit more complicated than that and we have to treat people on a case-by-case -case basis. You have to understand that. Question is why then, despite all those inconsistent findings, why do we get back pain? And why does back pain present so differently? The official answer is I don't know because the way I see it, if Professor in Spine Biomechanics or Professor who's an editor for Spine says he doesn't know what the fuck is going on and he's been studying um, back pain for more than 50 years, then I have no chance in hell. However, we do have theories and it doesn't mean we can't completely help. We can certainly help. I think that pain itself is a signal, obviously. It is a signal for the perception of danger or concern. That's your body's way of telling you, oh, something, something's about to happen, or something may happen, or there's a, some sort of threat. If there is a threat, sort out that threat. If there is a perception of that threat, sort out that threat. That is, in essence, what I need you to do. It's, I know it's very general, but I do take this case by case. I don't treat every back pain the same. Um, the exercises might be similar, but the actual presentation and the way I approach it is subtly different from person to person. But the concepts still remain the same. The concept is still get moving, do what you can, work within your healing timeframes, and usually aim to do what you cannot do before. So if you have back pain and you can't do XYZ, then XYZ become your goals. You need to understand this. And then if you if you can, work towards those goals. That being said, I understand that there is a subgroup, a certain percentage of people who may not respond to just conservative therapy and they may need extra medical help. You may need to take medications. You may need to have, say, a injection or you may need to even have surgery that's understandable we have to work within that and at the end of the day you do what's best for you 
with our, and I mean as a profession, with our advice as best as we can, okay? So that is pretty much the bulging disc and back pain in general. If you have any other specific questions with regards to that, let me know. But with that being said, let's move on to the next question. Is BMI relevant if you have more muscle than the general population? I'm 175 centimeters and weigh 82.5 kilos. My BMI says I'm obese. Okay, the BMI was created in the 1800s. It is your weight divided by your height squared. It is your general measure of, or well, obviously we know it's a ratio between your height and weight. It's a general sort of indication of whether you're getting big or not, put it that way. We know that it doesn't take into account some important risk factors such as waist circumference or it doesn't take into account athletes who have increased muscle mass. So I think as a general measure, it's pretty good. It's it's a pretty good overall rough guide for the for general population. Okay, so if you if you are leaning towards that obese side and you're not really active and you got like a big waist circumference, you, you really need to reconsider your life choices because we just don't want you to die. So just as a rough measuring tool, just keep that in mind, but just don't get it out of context, okay? If the BMI is great as a measurement tool, as a quick measurement tool, and it's great as a teaching tool, and it's a good rough guide for most people. But if you are, objectively speaking, you know, say, relatively thin-waisted, and you have lots of muscle on you, and your BMI says you're overweight, and you're exercising appropriately, and you're eating well, mate, you'll be right. You should be fine. Don't stress out about too much at this stage. Or alternatively, consult a health professional again if you need. Now, next two questions are joke questions. Obviously, what is the best topping on pizza? That is the topping that you love the most, not pineapple. And okay, nerdy question. Should Final Fantasy VII Remake players invest in SP for Aerith knowing that she gon' die? Up to you. I'm a completionist, I like to max out things, I don't care if she dies or not, I'm still going to put in SP points. That is all for today, I hope you have guys have a wonderful week, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the podcast, now don't go off into the sunset and blindly do what I may have said or recommended, seek proper advice from qualified healthcare professionals, like, comment, subscribe or book in if you would like us to assist. 